Killing Type, a novel by Wayne Jones. Chapter 22. It occurs to me only as Tony is scouring my bookshelves, her back turned to me in a lovely innocence that makes me ashamed of my previous suspicions of her, that this is the first time that anyone else has been in my room since I've been living here. I've insisted to my landlady that she not clean the room, and she has been trusting enough to leave those domestic niceties to me. I know because without her knowledge I've changed the lock to my door and she's never mentioned that. And now here is Tony, turning to me with a book in hand, in hand, walking towards me, her mouth opened and a question about to come, and here I am I, a nervous schoolboy. I turn around abruptly and head to the bathroom before she reaches me. I look back for a second, part of my feverish head worried that she might follow me in here, and no, I see her look at the book, then at me, and then sit down at my dining table. The cold water feels good on my face. I splash it carefully from forehead to chin and cheek to cheek and then along the back of my neck where I feel a nice cool calm activated and a droplet then making its way down my back. I verify the results in the mirror. I'm ready. Tony is sitting in the wing chair when I emerge. Funny place you have here, she says. Funny? Funny how? Kind of controlled clutter. Too much stuff in it for such a small room, but it's all kind of fanatically organized. I laugh lightly. That's not a bad way to put it. You're a collector, I see. She motions vaguely with her left hand. The books, I mean. Yes, I... Uh, listen, can I get you something, you know, to drink? I have some red wine left, I think, or water, or... Wine sounds great. As I walk past her on the way to get the glasses, she sinks back in the chair with an insouciant comfort that I sadly realize I never have been able to manage in this place, or perhaps any place. A sliver of her midriff is showing. Her hair is everywhere. A shoe, her slip-on shoe, dangles from the foot, which seems to be pointing me the way to the wine. Her sock is deep red. You don't keep any murder books here, though. Why is that? She uprights herself as I approach with the wine, takes the glass, and then sinks back down carefully to her former position, the wine glass placed carefully atop her breastbone. Whenever she wants to sip, she sits up and then sinks down again in a choreography of glass and liquid and body, which I find both funny and alluring. I am not used to these feelings. I am not used to what I want to do. I sit down opposite her, bent forward and with my elbows on my knees until this becomes uncomfortable. I sit back and try to relax. I think I have a select few here somewhere, I say, motioning vaguely toward my trunk. But yes, you're right. For someone who is doing the kind of research I am, I don't have a comprehensive collection. The libraries have lots, though, and I'm amazed what you can find online as well. She sips, and damn her, she has the confidence and security of person to be able to just remain silent and stare straight at me, not in defiance, but apparently just savoring this moment, this wine, this other person. How is the book coming along? Well, the final two or three chapters have yet to be written. I mean, the police haven't caught anyone, and so we have to conclude that this rampage is not over yet. Nine people dead? Can you really believe that?
The question just sits there while Tony swirls her wine, the caps of the wave she is producing rising higher and higher, sometimes threatening to spill out onto her pristine white t-shirt. I have a new theory, she says finally. I don't think this killer actually lives here in Nosping. I don't think he's anywhere near here. I just can't believe that someone here in town has done these murders and then gone home and then a few weeks later does it all over again. And all without the police being able to track him down at all. I think he's in Toronto or somewhere, shit, maybe even over in New York State and just coming up every now and then to kill. She just sips and looks over at me. Wow, I manage. She stands up suddenly, puts down her wine glass and takes a long exaggerated bow. Think about it a while and I'll go to the bathroom. And with that she is gone and I relax. I slouch back in my chair, the wine making the world and me feel very, very good. And I close my eyes and tilt my head back to shut out the present and the past and to concentrate on the future. Time passing, flowing, floating, all in silence, but a sound. Of course, she was wearing very little when she emerges from the bathroom, and I do feel sorry that she has to clear her throat as if in some bad joke in order to get my attention. Oh, I say, my eloquence perfect and perfectly absent. Gentle reader, I will spare you the details of our impromptu tryst. The mechanics were handled with panache on both sides, if I may say so. There were expressions of attractions and like, and no love was allowed to sully what turned out to be a terrific evening. I am not sure what led the girl to such boldness, perhaps merely the red wine loosening up inhibitions, perhaps a native tendency which I, careful observer though I am, did not notice in her. I have had few lovers, but they have all demonstrated and nurtured a sexual generosity. Tony was the same. Still, as always, it is the rawness of the après amour, lying there as staring at nothing, more inspiring than a ceiling that could use a coat of paint. It is that in intimacy which overwhelms me, leaves me literally, illiterately, speechless. I hate the cliché, she says, but do you have a cigarette? Really? Yes, afraid so. I'm sorry, I don't, but I think my landlady keeps a pack down on the little table in the foyer for some reason. Say put an algal filch one. I get up happy for the diversion and throw on the tattered bathrobe that I should not be wearing in the presence of others. I creep down the stairs to the foyer. The pack is nearly full and I take five of them. You're an angel, Tony says when I proffer my loot. I get matches from the kitchen and light up the one she already has in her mouth when I return to the bed. She takes a long drag and exhales noisily. Have you always smoked? Well, not always, of course. I started when I was in junior high and had given it up probably four or five times. Actually, I've been good lately. It's only big meals and, well, other pleasures that seem to activate the desire. She smiles. I'm beginning to regret some of my actions. I remember occasions when I've slighted this woman, acted and been indifferent, and of course suspected her of committing crimes. In the course of a life of teaching and research, a life spent among other people, 
If you are attentive at all, you develop an intuitive sense of the value and intentions of those you fraternize with. I evidently misread Tony, though I hasten to add, first, that I did not spend much time with her in total, and, second, that I am not meaning to imply that the woman has suddenly fallen in love with me, that a single act of physical intimacy indicates a solidity of character precluding the ability to kill people. Where are you? I hear, and realize that I have been in a daze while she has finished her first and lit her second cigarette. There are dots of gray ash on my sheet which she brushes off, smiling sheepishly. Oops. I raise my eyebrows and then make a move toward her but hold back for some reason. I feel a rush of not quite sympathy but some kind of tender human emotion to which I am unaccustomed and which I am having some difficulty describing. Tony is as secure and as carefree as I can imagine it possible for any person to be while naked and attempting to get the attention of another person who is only seemingly reluctant to return to bed. Hey, come over here and keep me company, she says with unnecessary insistence. I settle myself in beside her and she makes tiny animal noises, snuggles her face into the side of my neck. I flinch at the attention, at what my febrile mind misinterprets as a threat of some kind. Listen, she says, I like you. I, well, help me out here a little. I, I say, but then it all just fades to nothing. Yes, come on, you can do it, you can say it. She's practically shouting by the end of it, and I know that she's not mocking me, however. I have a sudden urge to be alone, but I am not sure how to manage the suggestion and the logistics of that in my present circumstance. This, listen honey, it's been a heck of a time, but perhaps it's time you moved along out of here, would work, but its effectiveness is tempered somewhat by its outrageous inappropriateness. I think I get the idea, she says. Pardon? Well, maybe I should be going. The woman's prescience is astounding. Please, no, you're most welcome to stay, I protest a little weakly. It's cool, she says. Just lie back here with me while I finish this cigarette. I oblige, crawling awkwardly and shamefully up beside her and then lying down. She looks over at me just after taking a luxurious inhale, and her face is slightly distorted so that it seems like she is about to say something to me. Instead, she just smiles, warmly, I think, and resumes looking up at the ceiling, the smoke leaving her mouth in what sounds as much like a sigh as an exhalation. It continues in silence like that until eventually, in a sequence which I'm not sure lasts a minute or a half hour, she gets up, dresses, says something to me that I do not quite discern, and then kisses me and leaves. And... I sink back into that still warm bed and wonder what I have to do now.